Welcome to the IIF's Regulatory Affairs podcast series. My name is Mary Frances Monroe, and I am a director in the Regulatory Affairs Department at the IIF. It is my pleasure today to be speaking with Emran Islam, Senior Financial Services Expert for Monetary and Capital Markets at the International Monetary Fund. Emran has deep experience and expertise in cyber resilience, including with the European Central Bank, the G7, and the Financial Stability Board. We were fortunate to have Emron's insights in a recent IIF Cyber Roundtable, and I am looking forward to diving a bit deeper into cybersecurity regulation in this podcast. Please take note that the views expressed today are the personal views of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the official views of the IMF. Before we begin, I would just like to acknowledge and congratulate the producer of today's podcast, Kate Sammer who is moving from the IIF to CNBC as an associate producer. All the best in your new role, Kate. Emron, let's get started. During the IIF's recent cybersecurity roundtable, you were kind enough to participate in our panel on the future of cybersecurity, regulation, resiliency, public-private sector coordination. Perhaps you can level set for our audience by explaining the IMF's role in cybersecurity regulation including through its financial sector assessment program, which is also known as the FSAP program. Thank you so much, Mary Francis. Real pleasure to join you today for this discussion. So in terms of the role of the IMF, I think we have to probably dive a little bit back into history. And I would say that cyber has become more prevalent in the IMF work since 2017 largely in response to queries from our membership in their efforts to strengthen cyber resilience. And obviously, the timing coincided with the very infamous SWIFT Central Bank of Bangladesh incident. Our objective is really to raise awareness of financial stability implications of cyber risk in member countries and help them to enhance cyber risk regulation and supervision so that they can resist cyber attacks, and strengthen their response to and recovery from such cyber incidents. I would say that our focus is on the weakest nodes in the global networks, typically low-income countries and other low-capacity financial systems. The main thrust of our work to date has really focused on capacity development to identify strategies to mitigate cyber risks in the financial sector really with the intention of promulgating best practices for financial sector regulation and supervision. There are obviously several initiatives that comprise our capacity development efforts. For example, bilateral technical assistance. This is a review that we do with the aim of identifying gaps and suggesting enhancements of member countries' regulatory framework and supervisory processes. Secondly, capacity building via workshops. You know, every year we host an annual event in December, bringing together supervisors from across our membership to discuss emerging risk management practices. And also we do regional workshops. Thirdly, we we deliver training for supervisors as well as tools that can be used by supervisors, such as materials, publications, For example, recently, we've just developed an online cyber regulation and supervision course, which is free and available to regulators and supervisors around the world. And I think finally, we integrate our efforts on cyber into our surveillance activities, 
um, to identify potential threats to financial stability and priorities for regulation and supervision. I think this really entails conducting reviews of advanced economy cyber resilience frameworks via the FSAP, which you mentioned already. Our work is evolving now, you know, to work with low-income countries, develop cyber strategies for their financial sectors, going to develop cyber information and intelligence sharing networks, designing cyber testing frameworks. So we are seeing a slight evolution in the nature of our work. And really at the core of this, what I would stress, and I think it's going to come across probably quite strongly throughout the course of this podcast, is collaboration. Collaboration is really vital to the IMF's cyber work program. You know, from engaging with national supervisors to understand threats to financial stability and emerging supervisory practices, to sourcing experts that that can help support the IMF's capacity development efforts, such as technical assistance missions, to actually attending workshops and hosting workshops. The IMF works closely with international standard-setting bodies, including the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision and the Financial Stability Board. And really, um, one of our main aims when we contribute to these global standard-setting bodies is to convey the perspective of the IMF broad membership that is substantially wider and more diverse than jurisdictions that are typically around the table. Ultimately, this collaboration helps encourage convergence in regulatory frameworks avoiding fragmentation, and really the sharing of better supervisory practices. Thank you, Emran. Those comments around collaboration, encouraging convergence, and avoiding fragmentation clearly align with the messages that the IIF has been advancing over the years, not just in the space of cyber regulation, but in terms of regulation in general. But I'd like to hear more about your views on how the regulatory and supervisory approach to cybersecurity could evolve in order to better support financial institutions' effective cyber risk prevention and risk mitigation policies, especially in light of recent heightened geopolitical tensions. Are the regulatory and supervisory practices that could help financial services, regulators, and supervisors? I think before we answer this question, it's probably quite important, Mary, to kind of set some context. The increasing digitalization of financial services in combination with the presence of high-value assets and data really makes the financial system a target of choice for attackers and vulnerable to cyber incidents. The high level of interconnectedness across financial institutions, financial markets, and financial market infrastructures, and particularly the interdependencies of the IT systems, constitutes a potential vulnerability as a localized cyber incident could very quickly spread across markets and jurisdictions. And I think this is a key distinctive differentiation between cyber risk and other forms of operational risk. You know, for example, a cyber incident has the potential to crystallize and propagate throughout the system at a significantly quicker pace than other types of risk. A cyber incident has the capacity to be more widespread in its impact than many other shocks, and it's not constrained by geographical boundaries. And in the case of cyber attacks, some threat actors pursue a very deliberate objective to cause major disruption to the financial system and the real economy. We're also seeing that there is a higher dependency on third-party providers, e.g., cloud providers or fintech adoption and so forth 
So we are seeing a significant buildup of concentration risk. The adoption of new technologies such as cloud computing also creates new interdependencies with entities that may operate outside the boundaries of regulated financial systems. So while some aspects of these interdependencies can contribute to greater resilience, they do also pose new risks. Within this context, I would argue that cyber risk is unique with unique characteristics. And that's exactly why I believe that our regulatory and supervisory approach has to also evolve and take a slightly more creative and novel approach. You know, I think for a long time, regulatory approaches have been confined to setting regulatory requirements and validating compliance against them. And of course, this is still an essential approach to, to cyber resilience. But countries around the world must develop sound regulation and supervisors must continue to build capacity to conduct cyber supervision. But there are added dimensions to this issue. This is one risk, in my view, which requires regulators and supervisors to be more dynamic and agile. This is also one risk which requires a more collaborative approach between the regulators and the market with greater trust and interaction. So an institution that suffers a cyber attack is ultimately a victim of crime. And this, in my view, applies to the public authorities as much as the private sector. For example, if a central bank that sets the regulatory requirements for supervised entities and supervises them can also be subject to an attack with devastating consequences, can you imagine if a central bank requires firms to live up to certain standards but doesn't do it itself? Its credibility will be gone. So I think the first step in terms of approaches, as you asked about, is to acknowledge that we are confronted by a common risk, both the public and the private. And therefore, this requires a more collaborative approach as, as we simply cannot tackle this problem in silos. We can only do it together. I think the best examples from my observations of jurisdictions are the ones that take a more collaborative approach. They strengthen the public-private dialogue. They build trust. They build tools and initiatives that can benefit the entire sector. And they approach this issue as an area of continuous development and improvement to reach a higher state of maturity, rather than the traditional approach of just setting rules and ensuring compliance. I think regulation, which facilitates continuous improvement and integrates this idea of reaching high levels of maturity over time is important. And this therefore means that as regulators, one needs to be more pragmatic and understanding that firms will not apply the same measures in the same way and that they will need time to reach the different levels that we perhaps want. So this will also mean that regulators will need to deepen their understanding of the topic, improve their supervisory processes and approach, and they're going to have to work with actual firms to reach that high level of maturity over time. So this perhaps means being less punitive and maybe more dynamic and versatile. Further, I think we need to think more broadly and build supplemental tools and frameworks. For example, you know, developing information and intelligence sharing for the sector, enhancing sector-wide testing, implementing red team testing frameworks like many jurisdictions are currently doing, improving coordination between the public, private, and law enforcement agencies, managing third-party risk, 
mapping the financial sector and understanding the operational interdependencies, you know, converging incident reporting regimes, building the workforce capacity where there is a shortage, and ultimately improving response and recovery capabilities across the entire ecosystem. These are just to name a few possible areas of work on top of regulation and supervision. I think the regulators and supervisors need to catalyze these approaches and really be at the forefront, you know, working with the industry rather than simply dictating the terms for their compliance alone. Thank you, Amran. These are very, very interesting and new approaches to regulation and supervision. This whole idea of breaking down the silos between the public and the private sector would create a very different regulatory and supervisory paradigm. You know, as you know, traditionally, there's been a lot of reliance on consultation papers issued by regulators to which the industry will then submit a comment letter. So in your view, how can industry engagement become more dynamic, more two-way, and ultimately more meaningful? I think we need to change the conventional model of interaction, to be honest. Regulators are writing guidelines and their regulations. You know, they consult, they amend, and then they publish. And this is obviously a very important practice, and I think they need to continue doing this as the feedback from the market is invaluable. But at times, you know, regulators will request information from the industry and consume it without necessarily feeding anything back or explaining how such information is being used. So in my view, this approach needs to change. I think the relationship must be based on greater trust. It has to be two-way where both sides can benefit. And there needs to be greater transparency. As already stated, you know, cyber risk is unique in that it can impact both the public and the private. So there are greater incentives to work together, you know, as all parties can ultimately benefit. So I would strongly advocate jurisdictions to adopt public-private partnerships with regulators and supervisors, really taking a strong leadership role in building this type of a forum. You know, good examples around the world do exist of this kind of setup. For example, in the UK, there is the Cross-Market Operational Resilience Group, CMORG, I think it's called. In Europe, there's the Euro Cyber Resilience Board, ECRB. In Denmark, there's the Financial Sector Operational Resilience Group, FSOR. And I think there are similar bodies in the US that are driven by the US Treasury, for example. You know, these fora, they bring together all the key stakeholders in the jurisdiction around the table at a strategic level with senior representation to discuss key risks and challenges. These four, they raise awareness, they allow the building of trust and often catalyze joint initiatives and solutions when required. So for me, I have personally observed that these public-private partnerships really are fertile grounds for information exchange, you know, understanding core issues and challenges, and ultimately improving the collective capabilities of the sector. And I think this is really essential if we really want to enhance the resilience of the entire ecosystem. You know, let's be honest, engaging with the industry is invaluable to regulators and supervisors, as they're ahead of us in many ways in terms of knowledge, investment, and market intelligence. You know, some of these financial institutions, they're global powerhouses, you know, with remarkable levels of resources, advanced capabilities, and practices. So there is something important about learning from others and not believing that, you know, regulators hold the answers. And I'd say also, 
you know, this is really important. The role of the likes of the IIF, for example, is crucial to this process of industry engagement. The IIF provides a voice for the industry and, you know, engages heavily in a lot of the key policy debates. And that's very important, you know, for ultimately globally for us to kind of converge on the best practices and, and the most optimal way forward. Now, having said this, let me be clear, the role of the regulator and the supervisor must stay as it is. They are the key driver ultimately to ensure that the market applies measures in the public interest. But we can be more nuanced when it comes to cyber risk. And the more dynamic we make this relationship, I think, and I believe, the more we're actually able to protect the public interest. Thank you, Imran. And thank you in particular for pointing out the public-private partnerships. The IIF does engage in these partnerships, and in particular with public-private partnership that has been established through the U.S. Treasury. There are obviously public sector regulators and and supervisors involved in this organization, as well as private sector entities, both trade associations and individual companies. And again, these are the individual companies that are, as you say, the global powerhouses that have quite a bit of capacity in this space. And so we've had some very fruitful exchanges and continue to do so through this venue. And I also appreciate your your comments about avoiding fragmentation as a goal. And that kind of leads me to my next question. To what extent can financial services cybersecurity regulation across those jurisdictions that are committed to combating cybercrime be better harmonized or aligned? And do you think it's feasible or even desirable to have harmonization or alignment given the differing risk profiles across sectors and jurisdictions? There are other regional specificities that may create some impediments to harmonization or alignment. And what is the role of the IMF in achieving this role of harmonization? I mean, look, there is no doubt that fragmentation is an operational burden for financial institutions, you know, which we're finding are increasingly, you know, cross-border and global. Fragmentation in regulation, for example, can pose a risk because you can set contrary and potentially conflicting requirements. Another example is incident reporting, you know, where some financial institutions have expressed frustration that they are bound to report incidents to multiple authorities subject to different requirements, processes, modalities, and thresholds. And this is something that can be very difficult to adhere to at a time when the financial institution should perhaps be more focused on actually addressing the incident itself. So I think harmonization is a very lofty ideal but it's perhaps not feasible and nor necessarily required. I would rather suggest that we see convergence in regulation and other areas such as incident reporting and a degree of alignment between regulators. I think in this area, there is a very fundamental need for international cooperation amongst regulators and the role of standard setting bodies such as the Financial Stability Board is key. But I would also like to say that the market is playing a role in this endeavor too, you know, which should be recognized and praised. So for example, the financial sector profile developed by the Cyber Risk Institute, it's a very good example of an initiative which has analyzed the major cyber regulations in the world and then, you know, developed a mapping to the National Institute of Science and Technology, so the NIST cybersecurity framework, 
And this type of initiative is very valuable to, to the market participants as they try to ultimately demonstrate their compliance to different regulations and also very valuable for regulators because it can help guide regulators to understand the different regulatory approaches that are being taken and ultimately how they can all converge onto the same similar requirements. In terms of the IMF, well, we work extensively with low-income countries in helping them to develop cyber regulations. And so we're trying very hard to ensure that there is some convergence and an alignment with international standards. And then we also work with the likes of the Financial Stability Board to strengthen the basis for greater convergence. I think our global perspective in terms of the IMF puts us in a very unique position to drive this convergence and alignment. And we're certainly trying to do so. But that said, there is a long way to go still. And it will be essential that, you know, over the coming years, countries around the world do strengthen their cyber regulatory frameworks and try to do so as much as possible in alignment with, you know, other countries' jurisdictions and international standards. Thank you, Amran. Very, very interesting observations. I'd like to move now to what we're hearing from our members at the IIF as one of the key challenges to combating cyber risk, and that is a jurisdictional and regional data transfer restrictions. It has been suggested that the IMF could have a role in discouraging data localization requirements, that is, requirements that require the storage and processing of data domestically, as these requirements can exacerbate rather than reduce cyber risk. What is the IMF's view on and what is its approach to jurisdictional data localization requirements that can impede cross-border data sharing and transfer? This is a great question, Mary, and, and incredibly complex, I have to say, but very timely. This is incredibly important in this age of globalization where data is the new form of oil. It's golden. So I would refer you to the staff discussion note that was published by the IMF in October 21 called Toward a Global Approach to Data in the Digital Age. But I would try to expand this question to go beyond just data localization as there are many facets to this debate and the issue of data more broadly. So I guess let's try and set a bit of context again. Data has become the ultimate modern mobile factor and cross-border data flows are clearly rising. You know, the ability to move data across borders underpins a very growing range of economic activity and international trade. Data flows are particularly crucial for trade in services and to facilitate cross-border payments. But cross-border data protection does present challenges. So one challenge is that, you know, citizens' personal data can flow in and out of jurisdictions that do not offer comparable levels of privacy protection. Authorities also have a legitimate interest in maintaining control over individual data, you know, that may be needed for regulatory or security purposes. And this generates tensions between, you know, privacy and other policy objectives that may be perceived very differently across countries. I think differences in data standards pose particularly stark trade-offs for developing countries. So cross-border data flows drive you know, the most dynamic exports of developing economies, you know, data processing and data-related business services. These services, you know, ranging from financial accounting and tax returns 
to medical transcription and diagnostics, you know, they contributed to more than $50 billion worth of developing economy exports to the European Union in 2015. I think of which one fifth came from Africa. So developing economies face a dilemma when advanced economies tighten data regulation. Either they have to adopt these tighter standards, which has higher compliance costs for their exporters, or they face losing market access. I think data localization laws ultimately could generate broad economic costs and harm smaller economies disproportionately. You know, several countries are seeking to place specific limits on the transfer of data on their national subjects outside their national borders, so-called data localization, as you mentioned. And some studies point out that you know, data localization policies may reflect misguided concern about cybersecurity risks, for example, of cross-border data or flows or protectionist policies. And therefore, they could undermine the benefits of digital trade. I think firms in smaller countries facing you know, strict data localization requirements in their trading partners could also find it increasingly difficult to you know, compete and innovate without access to large data sets, which could generate a digital divide. And that will ultimately exclude some countries from the benefits of digitalization. I think that there is a very strong case for international cooperation on data governance more, more broadly. So while we should not necessarily expect all countries to handle issues of innovation, privacy, and security the same way, international dialogue and cooperation can ensure that you know, the digital economy doesn't become subject to undue fragmentation. I think aspiring to the best principles of privacy and individual rights while satisfying social objectives need not set off a global scramble to fragmented policy approaches, you know, leading to localized data markets that could ultimately undermine the many potential benefits of cross-border sharing. So from the IMF side, you know, the IMF posits that there is definitely a need for common minimum principles across countries that balances the interests of growth and competition with national and individual privacy concerns. And I think it is paramount that this is done in a setting where all countries can actually have a say to ultimately avoid the emergence of a digital divide. I think the key elements of, of such common minimum international principles, especially for the financial services that are highly regulated with significant international coordination, it could include a few things. So principles for data protection, you know, if there's an international agreement on common minimum standards for acceptable protection of individual data. For example, principles on interoperability and data portability. You know, given the global reach of businesses that make use of individual data as an important part of their business, there's certainly a need to discuss common principles on how such interoperability and portability should work across borders. And then perhaps principles on data sharing for regulatory purposes. A rigorous data framework should govern not only the protection of data, but also its disclosure to public authorities, including regulatory authorities, you know, where necessary to ultimately meet certain public policy objectives, for example, facilitate criminal law enforcement activities. In the end, I would say that, you know, without a global approach 
to data policy frameworks. We're going to see a continuation of ad hoc, sectoral, regional, or bilateral approaches. And ultimately, action is definitely needed at the national and international levels to, to kind of mitigate the risk of this fragmentation into localized national data pools, which, in my view, would diminish the benefits that data sharing actually offers in terms of productivity gains, trade, and financial inclusion. Thank you, Amran. I appreciate your comments on the need for a global approach to data policy frameworks, including to avoid fragmentation, but also to avoid a number of other very negative impacts that that fragmentation can have, particularly on emerging markets and developing economies, and that potentially you spoke of the digital divide developing. So we've had a very good and far-ranging conversation uh, this morning, and I think I just have one more question, but of course, it's a very broad question just to wrap up our conversation today, and that is, what, in your view, is the next frontier for cyber risk and regulation? That could probably be an entirely new podcast, but I'd just like to hear some of your top-of-mind ideas on that. It is a very broad, broad question, and I think we could spend days um, talking about this, Miriam. I think cyber attacks will continue with greater levels of sophistication and resources. You know, in many ways, I think it's not an understatement to say that you know, cyber is the new frontier of warfare. This is further accentuated with increased digitalization, new forms of finance and currencies, for example, central bank digital currencies, and obviously greater reliance on third-party providers such as the cloud. So for me, the, the next frontier is clear. We need to accelerate our global preparedness to tackle this risk. You know, and this means greater global convergence in regulation with all countries building capacity in this field and with greater innovation and newer tools driven by regulators and supervisors. You know, at the IMF, we work with a global membership. And so we see firsthand the lack of capacity and resources across our membership in this area. And low-income countries are particularly vulnerable. So it is essential that we build cyber capacity across our membership, as ultimately this will strengthen financial stability and also improve financial inclusion. So we need to think of more creative ways of strengthening the resilience of the global system, you know, given that we have limited resources and expertise. And so for me, collaboration, coordination, communication, these sit at the heart of this. So what is the next frontier? Well, greater collaboration, coordination, and communication at all levels, you know, within the public and private sectors, cross-border, across all regions. Thank you, Emran. That is certainly a message that resonates quite strongly with the IIF, and we are looking forward to further opportunities with the IMF and with other official sector bodies and private sector bodies to engage in that collaboration, coordination, and communication in order to develop a joined up and coordinated approach to cybersecurity. I want to thank you very, very much for joining this podcast today and for sharing your very important insights with, with our audience. Thank you very, very much, Imran. Thank you. And thank you very much to our audience today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and received some important insights from our speaker, Amran Islam. If you're interested in other global regulatory podcasts, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts or at IIF.
www.thepeopleshow.com. Thank you and good day.